Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Fritz, for reading for us. Dana and team, thank you for leading us. As you saw, we're a little short on uh, members of our band this morning and in the back media as well because our youth are at camp this week. I hope you saw that in the insight and have been praying for them. They left Friday. Uh, they're gone for a couple more days. And uh, I've already seen pictures of snakes at the camp where they are up in Oconee. And so they're having a great time. Um, so... <laughs> You can pray for them, not just for that physical safety, that'd be a good thing, but pray for God to continue to work in their hearts and uh, to use this time away. If any of you experienced that, you know, went to youth camp uh, or even at, at some point as an adult, got away, oftentimes that's where God really speaks to us, right? It's where he gets a hold of our hearts and our lives. And, and so if uh, you, that happened to you, you maybe know better how to pray for our youth that God would do the same thing for them over these days. So uh, please be in prayer for them. We love them. And you can see we miss them on Sundays. They're not here. Uh, we are a little shorthanded. So you'll hear more about that next week when we talk about Serve Sunday and some of the particular needs that we have for volunteer help uh, just to, to have our services regularly on a Sunday morning. Uh, you may have also missed um, the uh, angel in the parking lot, and Beth is at home today. This was kind of unexpected. We had um, family over this week, and, and I don't know whether it was yard work or picking up kids or, what, or picking up stuff. I don't know what it was, but she threw her back out yesterday. And so she is home in bed, had a rough night. And so uh, if you can be praying for my wife, Beth, I'd appreciate that as well. She's in a lot of pain this morning. So I tried to set her up with everything she needed before I left the house this morning, but I'm hoping she doesn't <laughs> have to go too far from that couch. So I appreciate your prayers for her as well. Um, let's pause for a minute and ask for God's blessing and instruction and help as we go to his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word for your, uh, your love for us, for your table that we've just celebrated this morning too. And uh, Lord, now we, we just ask that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you that you've given us this living voice, that you've not left us without that word, with, you've not left us in silence, and you've given us instruction and direction and, and told us your will and your desire. And so, Lord, it's so important that together we come around your word, we hear your word, we respond to your word as your people. And that's what we want to do this morning in, in obedience and in faithfulness to do that together. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me, use me, help me to fulfill this role that you've given to me to be the spokesperson, just the conduit for your word to, to run through this morning. But Lord, I admit this, I say this every week, and Lord, we need your Holy Spirit at work in us to be our counselor and teacher, to help us apply this word, and we need this living word to be active in our hearts and our lives, so that's what we ask for this morning. I ask for that too, to make this alive and working in my life on a daily basis too. So Lord, we come committed to you, 
in love for, of, with you and asking for your grace and blessing and work in us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would not have even known what to look for if Beth hadn't shown me what to look for. As some of you know, a couple weeks ago, we were in Puerto Rico celebrating our 40th anniversary. And uh, one of the places that we saw was a place called Sea Glass Beach. And as soon as Beth saw that name, she said, we've got to get there. We've got to go. Well, because some years ago, Beth got hooked on hunting sea glass by a friend of hers in Virginia Beach who had done it before. So maybe you're wondering, what is sea glass? Well, here's a couple examples that we brought home. Sea glass is just broken glass that, I don't know if it falls off ships or I don't know how it gets there, but it's in the bottom of the ocean. And over time, it gets tumbled and rolled in the sand and the waves. And when it ends up on shore, it's all these kind of unique shapes and colors. It's been rounded and smoothed by the ocean. And people collect this stuff. And so she, she said, we've got to go and find us at this beach. And, and to me, when we walked down the beach, it just looked like sand and rocks until Beth took me down for a closer inspection. And sure enough, there were these little bits of sea glass and all different kinds of shapes and colors. So she started combing the beach. I put on a mask and snorkel and went just offshore because I like being on the water. And I was looking down through the water. And sure enough, we were finding these interesting little pieces. And for me, all of a sudden, it became, it seemed kind of silly at first, but then I thought, well, this is kind of fun. It's like a treasure hunt. We're going through and finding these hidden treasures. And so here's our collection. At the end, get you another picture. That's all the different pieces of sea glass we found in that one day at that one beach. Some rocks, some pottery, some shells, but mostly glass. Hidden treasure. In our passage that you heard read this morning, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like rare sea glass. Well, he doesn't say that, but I'm comparing it to that because he says it's like precious treasure, hidden treasure. It's like a pearl of great price. But what did Jesus mean by this? When Jesus makes these statements, you just heard these two short parables, what is he saying about the kingdom of God? Is that it's, that it's hidden, that it's rare? What does he mean? As we come to this passage this morning and begin this new series I want us to get a sense of what Jesus says about his kingdom, about the kingdom of God. In fact, today we're beginning this series for the summer. It will last these three months of summer, June, July, August. And we've titled this series, Upside Down Kingdom. Upside Down Kingdom. Because what we want to do is look at the, state, the sayings and statements of Jesus through the Gospels that often baffled people. I mean, so many times when Jesus would talk about his kingdom, when he would describe the kingdom, he would picture something for folks, and it ended up being something totally opposite of what people thought, very different from how they pictured the kingdom or what they expected God's kingdom would be like. So we'll just give you a few examples of this. Jesus said, the first will be last, and the last will be first. A total opposites. He said, the exalted will be humbled, and the humble will be exalted. That those who serve are the greatest. That those who lose their lives will actually find their lives. That the old in age must become like the young, like a child. 
and that the most real is hidden from view. And that's the point of our passage and our parables this morning. The kingdom of heaven, you see, is counterintuitive. That's just kind of a fun phrase to say, but what it means is counterintuitive means the opposite of what you would think, different from what you would think. And that was the case over and over and over again in Jesus' ministry and how He teaches in the Gospels. And it's true for us today as well. But why would this be? Okay, so pull back for just a second. Why would Jesus come as the Messiah King and then proclaim a kingdom that nobody could understand? that nobody really got, that was so obscure? Why did the religious leaders of his day reject what Jesus had to say about God's kingdom? Why? Because it was opposite of what they expected. Because it was counterintuitive. What is it about the nature of Christ's kingdom that makes it so intangible and so invaluable? Those will be our two key points this morning. What makes it intangible? What makes it invaluable? And that's where we're going to begin this series. So if you haven't done so already, please turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, this passage that Fritz read for us a moment ago, verses 44 to 46, and I'll be giving you a number of other texts as well to put alongside this. In this chapter, Matthew 13 is really a key chapter. We'll probably be coming back to this a couple more times throughout this series this summer, but in this chapter, Jesus gives a variety of pictures, sometimes in parables, sometimes in explanation, uh, pictures of His kingdom. But He talks a lot about the mystery of the kingdom as well. There's this hidden nature of the kingdom, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning because verses 44 to 46, He tells these two simple, short parables. It's easy to just run right past them as these little stories. Jesus doesn't even stop to give explanation. But in these two parables, we see two glorious truths about God's kingdom. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And we know this because in this case, and a couple of times in this chapter, Jesus introduces the parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So you can't miss that. He's describing his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, just in case, just for clarification, when you see in the New Testament text, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, they are basically interchangeable. We're talking about the same thing. We're talking about God's kingdom. So the first thing Jesus says in this passage is that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, in the little story, the parable that Jesus tells, we don't know exactly how this got there. Jesus doesn't tell us. There's just this treasure this man is walking through this field, and he finds this treasure. He sees it. He unearths it. He digs it up. He sees it's valuable. He puts it back in the hole, covers it back up. He runs away. Jesus says, with joy, he's excited. He's thrilled. He's, he can't believe his fortune in finding this. And he goes, and he sells everything he has to raise the funds to go and buy the field. Why would he do that? so that the treasure in that field is his. He doesn't care about the field. He buys it for the treasure. He gives up everything he has to get this treasure. That's the first story. Then the second parable, Jesus tells that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. He is 
shopping, if you will. He's looking around. He's going to the marketplace. He's checking every vendor. He goes around looking, looking, searching until he finally finds this pearl. This guy knows his pearls, apparently, because when he sees it, he knows this is the one. This is worth everything. And so he does the same as the first guy. He goes and sells everything he has to raise the funds to go back and to buy that pearl of great price because of its extreme value. This one-of-a-kind pearl. So what do these stories teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Here's our first point, first principle today. It's the hidden nature of Christ's kingdom. Jesus is emphasizing the hidden nature of his kingdom. And that's pretty obvious because the two things that these parables, stories, have in common is that in both cases, the treasure and the pearl, they're hidden. Now, one is hidden, buried in a field. One is in a marketplace just among a bunch of other pearls, apparently. It's out in the open. But in both cases, it's hidden from the finder until it is found. The hidden nature of the kingdom. And that's what makes the kingdom of Christ unusual. That it's hidden. If you think about that, normally what you would expect of a kingdom is that it's a kingdom of brick and stone and mortar and walls. A kingdom is something you can see. It's something huge. It has gates and towers. Another thing that we did while we were in Puerto Rico was that we visited our last day there. We went to the old town, old San Juan. This is a historic city, some of the oldest structures in America. And as you go through these, these towers, you see behind us, as you can see, Beth doesn't look real happy there. It was a hot day that day as we're marching out. But behind us is these, these walls and these towers. These, there's two fortresses and then the wall that encircles the old city built in the 1600s and 1700s. This, these have been standing for centuries. As we went in there and we began to go through the, along the walls and in the tower, these little towers and down these tunnels they have all throughout this that felt like an old world kingdom to me. That's what I think of when I think of a kingdom. A fortress, towers, walls. <laughs> I told you she wasn't real happy that day. <laughs> an old world kingdom. But that's not Christ's kingdom. That's not it. When Jesus stood before the Roman governor Pilate, we'll take Beth down now because this is not her, this is not Jesus. <laughs> you remember when, when Jesus goes, he's at his trial, he goes before Pilate, and Pilate's, I mean, the, the, the accusation is, you're, he's the king of the Jews, that's why we, we can't have this king. And so Pilate says, are you, are you a king then? I mean, how do you answer these charges? And you notice what Jesus says, here it is from John 18, 36. This is key. Listen to what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to pre prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom. Jesus was saying that his kingdom is not, not visible, it's not tangible, it's not stones and walls, it's not old San Juan. It doesn't look like that. 
It's a hidden kingdom. Now, to understand this, we just stop for a minute and think about the dual nature of the kingdom. Because there are a couple different aspects of the kingdom of God. I want to make sure this is really clear because this is part of how we'll be talking about this, the kingdom of God all through the summer here. Is there ever going to be a literal kingdom of God on earth where Jesus reigns as the king? I believe, yes, there will be. The Bible talks about that. The Old Testament prophecies, Jesus talked about it. The New Testament talks about it. Let me show you in a couple of places here. Daniel 7, 27 is one of the key passages. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey Him. And that's a glorious picture, isn't it? That promise, that prophecy that one day all the kingdoms of the earth will bow before Jesus as king. And this is what the Jews of Jesus' day expected the Messiah to do, right? Then and there for them. They, they took this prophecy of Daniel and they said, this is what the Messiah is going to do. So when Jesus came proclaiming to be the king, the Messiah, that's what they thought would happen. They expected this literal kingdom. But this prophecy of Daniel's was for a later time. We just celebrated the Lord's table and Jesus, when he celebrated this table with his disciples, the very first Lord's Supper, Jesus said this, Matthew 26, 29. He said this to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So even at near the end of his life, as Jesus is preparing for death, he's already preparing his disciples, saying, there is a kingdom to come. And one day, we're going to be at this banquet table together, and we're going to drink together and eat together. That day is coming, but it's not now. It's not now. There are a number of other passages I could point you to, but Revelation 20 and a couple different texts in that passage talk about the reign of Christ, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth with His saints together, there will be a kingdom. But what was hidden and unexpected was that there would be an interim form of the kingdom first. This is the new thing. This was the mystery. This is what was hidden. Between Christ's first coming and His second coming, there would be this invisible kingdom of heaven on earth. And it's the church. It's us. This is this interim kingdom of Jesus Christ where He reigns in our hearts, where He reigns in our lives. It's what we were singing about in our songs this morning. He is the king. He is the king of us, of our hearts. This was the hidden, invisible, unexpected nature of the kingdom. So Jesus told these parables about the kingdom of heaven to, been, to begin revealing this plan of God. And so as we see this throughout, as we see these, these counterintuitive statements of Jesus, He is retraining, reprogramming His people for the kingdom to come, the hidden kingdom. In fact, Matthew 13, 35, so just a few verses up from our passage, Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfilled a prophecy in the Old Testament 
with these words, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So Jesus taught what he taught, and he told these parables to reveal this mystery, these hidden things that God knew about. It's always part of God's plan. It's just that humankind did not know about it yet. Jesus came to reveal it. Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. One without walls, one without gates, one without boundaries. He's presenting a kingdom of the heart. Christ reigning in our lives. And so that's why we see what we do from Paul in a passage like Colossians 1, 25 and 27. So put this on the, on the screen as well. Colossians 1, 25 to 27. Listen to how Paul describes this. He says, I have become its servant. He's talking about the church, the church's servant. By the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the mystery. This is the hidden kingdom. It's in you. Christ is to reign in us. And our hope depends on that, on that kingdom. The kingdom of God on earth right now is in His people. This weekend, the people of Great Britain have been celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Have any of you kind of watched this or heard about it and watched, seen some of the pictures? You know, up, or the whole royal family up on the balcony and the parades and the crowds. and It's a big deal. Seventy years as Queen. The Queen is 96, Queen Elizabeth, 96 years old. She is now the longest reigning monarch in British history. <laughs> That's huge. Most Brits love their queen, they support the monarchy, but not all. Even in the midst of all this celebration, a couple days ago, the New York Times ran an article about an anti-monarchy conference going on at the same time as the Jubilee in London for those dissenters, those who don't believe there should be a monarchy. So the article said, not everyone is cheering the queen's milestone. Some would rather abolish the monarchy. So they said in that article about 6 in 10 support the queen and the monarchy, which means that 4 in 10 don't. I, somebody, I heard another report, who knows, another one said 8 in 10, she has an 80% approval rating, but even at that it leaves 20% who don't approve, who don't think the monarchy is the right setup for their nation. So here's my point. Even in a nation, in the midst of a great celebration of a kingdom and a queen, queendom I guess you call it if it's the queen, there are some who, though they live in that country, and she is their queen officially, she's not queen of their hearts. And this is the case with Jesus and his current reign. There are some who do not believe he is king or not, have not made him king of their hearts. Now, Jesus reigns on the throne. He is the king, and one day he will establish his kingdom over all kingdoms. But in the meantime, we only participate in that kingdom to come if we let him reign in our hearts here and now. That's how it works. 
We must embrace this hidden kingdom in order to one day experience His literal kingdom. I want to point to one other subtle difference here because I think this kind of applies to how we embrace this kingdom. If you notice the two parables in Matthew 13 there, the first, in the first story that Jesus tells, it seems like the, the man just kind of stumbles onto the treasure. Jesus doesn't tell us that he's looking for a treasure. He's just out in this field. He finds this treasure, and he says, Oh my goodness, this is valuable. And he covers it back. He hides it again and goes back and raises the funds to get it. In the second parable, here's the difference. He, Jesus describes someone who is searching for this pearl. He's looking. He's combing the area. It's, it's, like, it's like Beth on the beach looking for sea glass. He is looking for this pearl of great price and finally finds it. And when he does, he sells everything to purchase it. And I wonder if Jesus is describing the differences in how we encounter His kingdom. And for some of you, maybe your experience with Jesus was that you just stumbled on this. Someone told you the gospel, or you heard it, or suddenly you had an encounter with Christ, and suddenly it was right in front of you. Here it is. This is is life-changing, and you embraced it. For some of you, maybe you were searching, seeking for truth, for meaning, for something in life, and you kept coming up short until you finally found Jesus, and you found that pearl of great price and embraced it. You see, maybe there's people right here in the room or watching online right now that are in one of those two places as well. Maybe you're not even searching. You're just kind of cruising along, and this morning you're hearing the gospel, and I'm telling you the treasure is right in front of you if you will just take it. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you've been seeking. You've been searching, like, what, what is life all about? What is the meaning? What, what is it? What's going to change? And I'm telling you, the pearl is right here. The treasure is right here. It's Jesus. His kingdom. That's what you're searching for. That's the pearl of great price. And that leads to our second lesson. The second part of this, this, these principles this morning is the intrinsic value of Christ's kingdom. There's a hidden nature, and we have to understand it's a spiritual kingdom that we're talking about. It's a hidden kingdom. But it's also incredibly valuable. And Jesus is teaching that through both of these parables as well. And I love the way he shows it to us because the man who stumbles onto the treasure in the field, Jesus says he's so filled with joy, he's so excited that he immediately runs to sell everything he has. I just got to get rid of everything else. I got to raise the funds. I got to go buy this field. Everything else becomes worthless to him except for that treasure. It becomes the most important thing in his life right then. And the second story is very similar. The man who's searching finally finds this pearl. He's so excited, he lets everything else go. He sells everything he has to be able to go back and purchase that pearl of great price. It holds the greatest value in life for him. What is Jesus saying? That the kingdom of heaven though spiritual and unseen 
is worth more than anything else in life. It's worth more than anything else you can have, anything else you can do, anything else you can achieve. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest. So, what would Jesus say about this? He would say, what he's saying in the parable, give up the intangible, the tangible for the intangible. Give up the seen for the unseen. Give up the temporary for the eternal. Give up the physical for the spiritual. It is worth it to embrace this kingdom. So here's the hard question. I don't want to pass over this because we need to explain this. What, what is Jesus saying by telling us there is a cost to this treasure of the kingdom? That would seem a little confusing because in both parables, this person has to give up everything in order to embrace this kingdom. Now, what we know Jesus is not saying is that we have to do something or buy something or pay something in order to be saved. The Bible is very clear. Salvation is a free gift of God. Oh, it costs something. It costs Jesus his life. And that's exactly what we celebrated right here. Jesus gave up everything. He gave up his life to purchase our salvation. He paid the price for us, so that's why it's free to us. There's nothing else we can do, nothing else we can pay. So that's not what Jesus is saying in these two parables. We do not purchase our salvation. But Jesus was also clear throughout his ministry that there was a cost to discipleship because to follow Jesus meant giving up other things. It, it's just how it works. It's it's this decision to deny self and take up our cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Do you remember how Peter responded when they, they talked about this tough question? Jesus was talking about what people would give up to follow him. And remember what Peter says in Matthew 19, 27. If, leave it to Peter to address the elephant in the room, right? To say what nobody, everybody else was probably thinking. Only Peter would say it. He says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Ah, that's a key question. Okay, Lord, we, we did. We gave it all up to follow you. What, what, what's coming to us? What does this mean for us? Here's what Jesus says, verse 29 of Matthew 19. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. See, when we give up the earthly for the heavenly and the temporary for the eternal, we make the best exchange possible. Jesus is saying, nothing you give up for me will be lost in the end because of what you gain in your relationship with me. That's his promise to his disciples. That's the answer to Peter's question. Notice how Paul describes this as well. I love this passage because Paul, as you know, was a zealous, up-and-coming, powerful religious leader. He had everything going for him as a Jewish Pharisee until he stumbled across the treasure. And for Paul, it literally was stumbling. Saul, at that point, he's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus encounters him there, and his life is changed. He is suddenly encounters this treasure of the kingdom, and he embraces it. 
And then notice what he says, though, about his previous life now that he's experienced the kingdom. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Again, we'll have it on the screen here if you want to mark the passage. Philippians 3, 7 to 9. Here's what Paul says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He's clear. He's, he says it a number of times. This is what I've lost. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So there it is. Paul lays it all out. The righteousness of God, salvation comes through faith in Him. That's the only way. But he realizes when I embrace that and receive that forgiveness and salvation from Christ, it was a decision to put aside. I had to lose everything in my life that I thought was important to embrace everything Jesus was offering me that is really actually important that is truly valuable. Paul understood that this amazing exchange, this trade, was the garbage of his previous life for the infinite gain and value of life in Christ. That religious kingdom that he had lived for and worked for in the first part of his life was worthless compared to the spiritual kingdom, the hidden kingdom, the eternal kingdom of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? I think we really need to understand that following Jesus requires a complete reversal of the world's value system. It, you've probably experienced that in many ways already. And that's what we're talking about in this series. That's the upside-down kingdom because that's what Jesus offers. It's, it's totally contrary to what the world will tell us. So the world says that money and influence and recognition, health, all those things are the most important things in life. That's what you should value. That's what you should work for. That's where you put your priorities. But that's not what Jesus says. You look at the teachings of Jesus over and over, it's generosity, it's humility, it's righteousness, it's spirituality. Those are the most important things. Jesus says it's countercultural and it's counterintuitive. And you can't live embracing both of those kingdoms because they are opposite values. Yes, we live in this world as followers of Jesus, but we're in the world, not of the world. In other words, we cannot embrace the world's values even though we live here. You have to give up one to embrace the other because they are opposite and again, it's what we're going to be talking about all summer long. So just kind of setting the table here this morning for this series this, this summer. Let me give you one more story about San Juan. A little bit of the, the, the history here. It's actually a pretty amazing history. Through the centuries, it was, by the way, the island discovered by, uh, by Columbus in 1493. It was on his second voyage. He lands there and a number of different nations, mostly Spain, have claimed the island as their own over these centuries, but since 1917, Puerto Rico has been a territory of the United States, which kind of puts it in an interesting place. It's not a state, but it is a territory. And so when Beth and I traveled there, we 
didn't need a passport or anything like that. We went as American citizens, and, and so it's America, it uses American currency. Puerto Rico is, is somewhat independent, and yet it's part of our American democracy. And so you see the little white point there? That's Puerto Rico. There's another island, though, that's actually closer geographically. It's larger, the island of Cuba, just south of the point of Florida. Cuba is a communist dictatorship. It's a very different worldview and political system. So if you were saying, you know, where, which island should I choose? Should I live in Puerto Rico or live in Cuba? In that decision, you're not just choosing which one has the best beaches. You're choosing the context of, of a worldview. Do you want to live under a communist dictatorship or do you want to live in a democracy? Two very different worldviews in those two islands. And this is what Jesus is offering. He's saying, you're going to live by the views and the values of the world, or do you want to live according to the values of my kingdom? So let me tell you what my kingdom is about, because it's totally opposite of what this world tells you. We have to make that choice. Are we going to live by the values of this world's kingdom or live by the values of God's kingdom? And here's the thing, if you choose to live, if we choose to live by Christ's values, His kingdom, we are going to look upside down to the world because our values will be totally different. And that's the way it should be. Let me give you one example of this. Just happened to me this, this past week, Thursday morning, I meet with a group of men, that I, a little men's Bible study group I started right in our neighborhood. And one of the guys that started coming to this group relatively new believer, just new in his faith. He's just learning and growing. And, and he was telling us that this past week he got a call from his, his investment banker, the guy who kind of controls his finances and so on. And the guy was calling basically just to kind of assure him everything's okay. Yeah, the market's been volatile and all this. But, and, you know, our, my friend who's in this group said to him, oh, I'm not worried. It's God's money and he's got control of it. And he, as soon as he said that to his investment banker, the, the, guys, the guy, it was total silence. He didn't even know how to respond. It, it was a totally different category for him. It, it did not fit his worldview to have that approach to money and investments. This man in our group is learning about the values of the kingdom and that they're different and how upside down he looks to others in this world when he lives out those values. And that's a beautiful thing because that's the kingdom attitude. Now, wrapping up, I think what I love most about these two short parables is the joy and excitement that Jesus portrays as these people find their treasures. It, you just see it. You just sense it in the way. Even it's as though they're short stories, you get from Jesus this, this excitement to go and sell everything to embrace this treasure, this pearl, this kingdom. And I want to be that excited about the kingdom of heaven too. I want that excitement in my life. I want to be eager to exchange my values for Christ's values, for kingdom values. I want that exchange to happen daily in my life. I want to evaluate everything I hold dear 
by the values of His kingdom, not by the values of this world. I don't want this world to tell me what's important. And again, I hope that's what we learn together this summer. To be quick to respond to Christ's offer, take our lives, change our lives and our thoughts and our attitudes and our approaches to life and make it more like His kingdom. We're going to see this next week. Just give you a little preview. Serve Sunday. We're going to look at what Jesus says about how those who serve are the greatest. Last not typically how we see it in this world, but that's what Jesus says. That's the upside-down kingdom. This is a kingdom of servants. Not those who are most important, not those who are most famous, those who serve. Sometimes hidden, unseen, unappreciated, that they are the most important in Christ's kingdom. It's upside-down. And we're going to continue learning these values all throughout the summer. And this is where we close this morning. We're going to close with a song that you know. It's a, another take on a hymn that says, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And I just want to say as we close the service today, if, you're, if you've been holding on to the kingdom of this world in any way, and, and you know your life, you know your value system, you know what the priorities are of your life, as you think about that and evaluate that now, if there's anything you're holding on that's too much of this world and not enough of His kingdom, then I encourage you, over these next days, weeks, months, this summer, reevaluate that, rethink that. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden gem. Don't settle for fake stuff when the real treasure is right in front of you. Embrace kingdom of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, this teaching this morning in just two short parables. Lord, you've given us so much to consider. Lord, that your kingdom is different. It, it is intangible. It is spiritual. It is hidden. It's unseen. And yet it is the most valuable thing we could give our lives to. So, Lord, I pray that you would be retraining our thinking. The world so easily squeezes us into this mold and this way of thinking and living. And we need to break out of that mold over and over and over again. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in us today and through the days to come. And that these words of yours in the Gospels about your kingdom would be transformative, would change us from the inside out. And turn us upside down if that's what needs to happen so that we are living examples of the kingdom of Jesus in this world until you come again. And Lord, we look forward to that day. We embrace your kingdom now that we can't see because one day we will see you, we will see your kingdom, we will reign with you, and Lord, that will make it worth it all. So thank you for that promise as well. And in response, Lord, we say, we pray, we sing, Lord, take our lives, everything about us, and use them for your glory. Transform them to represent your kingdom and your values. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.